by episode, storyline by storyline, character by character, as we break down the making of your favorite zip code, with your host, <laughs> Charles Rosen, Did I say that? Mary Mullen, this thing about the, the, the real person, and we're going, what? We're getting rid of this guy. Pete Ferrero. I'm feeling wonderful. <laughs> Kathleen looks crush, TV crush worthy. Like so many special guests, and all your questions. Live on the Beverly Hills 90210 Show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and dance now. All right. So, hey, Chuck, it's good to see you. This is the first week. we've record- For fans that are watching this, we've recorded a bunch of these with Diane Young already. So this is actually our second week. <laughs> but for you uh, watching, this is the first week of ca- covering casting with Diane Young. And um, before we get into all that, should we talk a little bit about baseball? I know some fans probably are dying to hear me say I, it sucks that the Mets lost and, and all that stuff. So, yes, the, it was a good season for us, but we did not win. And and it was it was a tough couple of days for me. Your Dodgers are in the in a big game here with the Padres. And how are you feeling about uh, about all of it? <laughs> Historic uh, 2022 Los Angeles Dodgers uh, are one and zero. Got ten more to go, and I will be biting my nails and uh, sitting on nails uh, for the next uh, all ten games. I'm sure. Oh, I know. It's. I have to confess. You know, the first time around during the the first series, uh, Pete, Melanie, and I, uh, you know, Melanie working for the Padres and being a huge Padre fan. you know, we we all did uh, uh, live chats while we were talking to each other. We're in a group and chat. I had to say, uh, I'm not as big a masochist as Pete. I can't do it. <laughs> Your post game wrap ups instead. Uh, it was they, good though. Your post game wrap up was really good. Yeah. Baseball in October is something really special. It's been a really special team this year and this group of players for the last six years. So I really hope they do it. And that's all. Of, all, all an old fan can say. That's great. All right, let's talk about Diane Young, Chuck. Um, and I don't know if I asked you this already, but this is the first week. So tell me about Diane Young. You said was your what first or second hire, I think? Second hire. My first hire was my good friend, Jeffrey White, who produced the first six episodes and got us through a really stormy uh, opening until a veteran like Paul Wagner could come in, write the ship and, and be a, a great partner of mine for the five years I worked on the show. Uh, but Diane was the was the second hire. Um, she was brought to me by Tony Shepard of the Spelling Company, along with a couple of other uh, options. And I just felt very comfortable with her. And and for those of you who are about to meet Diane for the first time, talking about the uh, the series and whatnot, and and, and the process of casting, um, you, you'll immediately see why she was such a joy to work with and so easy to be around because she really. Uh, as she will say again and again, that ability to get along with people was something that she factored in often to the people that she caught, she cast and brought in for us to meet. Yeah. And, and and I was doing some research for season one here. She came from Growing Pains. So that's why we see a lot of people from Growing Pains uh, come through nine, the doors of 902. That meant to me that she had a uh, a contemporary sensibility. 
uh, for the time. That right. she knew who the, the, the young actors of Hollywood already were, and that she was was comfortable. And although I didn't ever, <laughs> ever watch the show Growing Pains, too busy working with uh, my friends Josh Brand and John Falsey on Northern Exposure, I knew that it it had it was a respected show, had a good audience, and um, and I uh, was uh, just very pleased that to have the chance to meet her and then um someone different casted the pilot and casted all those characters we're going to talk to diane about that but lay the land here give me the lay of the land of what this what 90210 looks like in this first season before we bring on diane just to set up what a long shot this show was there were five uh high school shows being presented that those years um Number one by far was going to be Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There was Disney weighed in on NBC with something called Hull High, which effectively was high school musical uh, before its time, a mm-hmm. really sweet show, but that's that's what that was. Uh, Fox itself had Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which had much more of the, you know, young guy sensibility, funny comedy. Um, and then you had at NBC, you had Fresh Prince of, of Bel Air. Right. And, and then there was a show that um, was being done by Aaron Spelling as a favor to the president of, of Fox, Barry Diller. They go back to ABC when ABC was known as Aaron's Broadcasting Company. <laughs> and and it, and it just was something that called Beverly Hills. It wasn't even called Beverly Hills, then it was called the Class of Beverly Hills. It just, it felt really old and when you just in concept and then when you looked at the um when you looked at the first pilot itself which was a two-hour pilot but it what ultimately aired was a 90-minute pilot with with b-shot footage uh but the two-hour pilot was the other 30 minutes were effectively music videos because right. they wanted to hip it up for fox and there was another uh, production company involved at the time called propaganda was really known for doing high-end uh, commercials, um, uh, Madonna videos, and uh, and a lot of other music videos. And they were involved with Twin, Twin Peaks, which mm-hmm. was the kind of cool uh, cherry pie darling of the time. And um, so it was uh, uh, not a, although it was a bit that the agency who owned 90210, CAA, Mr. Spelling's agents and propaganda's agents hoped would be a great fit. Creatively, it was it was all was not. Right. Uh, I often say that I was brought in uh, for three reasons. One was because I went to Beverly Hills High School. Two, because I was available, and three, because no one else wanted to do it. And I saw it as a chance to be perceived somewhat differently as just a writer but actually really now a writer for hire with, with some responsibility, responsibilities that I had never had before and didn't really even realize what we were, if you could ask me then. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it was, we had an order for 12 episodes and I think most of us involved in that first 12 just hoped we could get, well, certainly for me, to get to the end before I got, the show got canceled, right. before I got <laughs> let go. That, that one of the two things would happen. Um, and Diane was with me in those first 12 and that first season uh, 
with our terrible ratings are are uh and she will go into difficulty of how it was to get people to even come in to read for us i'm curious um, about that mm -hmm. she was with me at every step of the way and i'm really thrilled that uh, you were able to track her down pete it's all larry it's all larry yeah well larry too and larry of course you know the only reason he's not with us today is because we're talking about season one correct and uh and uh, but he, he has already weighed in on season four and uh and season six, six right? yeah we got some really interesting stuff out and of season so six we'll so. have a couple more larry and i will do five season five together and then of course he'll round it and complete it with season seven yes which is both his and diane's last season that's right all right let's bring diane into the room is that are you ready for that let's bring it on <laughs> um it's good to see you diane um we've seen you now two weeks in a row for the first for the fans this is the first time that they met you so we're going to kind of pick it back up as if we have not seen you before diane how are things going with you this is the first time that we're seeing you <laughs> <laughs> you know life is good yeah life is good in the northwest pacific northwest yeah, not the, you're not in uh, primarily in the entertainment business at this point in your life. Uh, no, I have, I, I left a while ago to go to grad school. And so I did that, came back for family, a family situation in Southern California, took care of my parents. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, and their estate. And after I took care of that, I came up to my, my aunt, one of my aunts said, go to your happy place. So I came to my happy place in the Northwest. I was in Seattle for a long time. Yeah. And well, there's lots of wine behind you, so that's got to be your happy place, right? <laughs> yes, it is. It's everybody's happy place. No doubt. Yes. Ruth in Moses Lake. <laughs> All right. Let's start talking about season one. Uh, I, we were just talking, and Chuck said you were his second hire. Um, what was it like walking into 90210 for you at that time? His Oh, um it was interesting it was always what you learn in this in a casting director situation is there's you always go to a new job and so it's the anticipation of who you get to meet and who you work with and i thought that i had had a really great meeting with chuck and i was really happy to be hired because it sounded interesting now the interesting thing too is that the pilot had already been shot so jason and um Shannon and the that initial core main cast had already been casted via um Joanna Ray, right? Correct, yes. Did you find Joanna Ray's notes? Do you have any notes about the pilot? I do not have any notes about the pilot from Joanna. However, we talked, gosh, several times. I don't know how many, but we did talk several times and we often talked about the show that she had chosen to go and work on versus, you know, coming to work on 90210. What was the show that she went to go work on? The minute I said that, I it went right out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> she, she um, I, I believe that she was went back to work for David Lynch. Yes, that's what I was going to say. She was most yeah. aligned with Twin Peaks. Yes. I see. Twin Peaks, I often say that in... 1990 when Twin Peaks came out and they did the first six episodes if David Lynch would have known how to end uh, the uh, at the story arc at episode six 
it would have gone down in history as the greatest miniseries ever created for network television. Mm -hmm. And he didn't. And mm -hmm. it's the interesting footnote, of course, is that in it only lasted one other season. And I don't even know if you remember this, Diane, that um, that the last uh, that by the time that we had caught fire with the audience at the end of season one, mm -hmm. we were head to head against Twin Peaks and our ratings were better. Oh, and I it didn't really fallen from grace, unfortunately. But it was oh, such an original show. And and she brought kind of that. Oh, can I say a Pacific Northwest uh, aesthetic <laughs> to it, which is what uh, Twin Peaks was known for at yes. the time. Um, yeah, coming up in uh, those establishments shot in Snoqualmie Falls. Yes, it is. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think that she made a right decision knowing that um, that Mr. Spelling was going to have more influence in the creative direction of, of uh, which ultimately became called Beverly Hills 902 and it was still then class of Beverly Hills, then um, her, her champions, which were propaganda. Yes. So were, were there were there notes that you remember that from the conversations about the people that were cast um, that we could talk about? Maybe Jason. Well, I had known most of the people who were cast because I actually I had hired Jenny before. And I knew who Brian Austin Green was, and um, I did not know Ian Ziering, and I did not know Gabrielle, but I knew pretty much everybody else. And uh, but I'm trying to think. Sh Shannon, did you know Shannon? Oh yes, yes, everybody knew Shannon. Yeah, because she had started as well. The Heather's. She was, was coming off a big indie movie, and uh, in some That's ways. True. That's what every young actor wanted at that time was to get into the movie business. And yeah. she had been in a terrific one there with Renona Ryder. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, it, and, and I also just want to say, since we're talking casting and certainly casting before uh, Diane uh, made her mark that uh, uh, TV lore. And I think the truth is, is that uh, Tori Spelling had a lot of influence on her father and some of the casting made, including mm. Uh, Jason and uh, Shannon. I was going to ask about that, and and Tori herself, but you weren't there for that that part. But you no. heard, but no, yeah. no. But I I remember Tori be, um, from casting because I had brought her in several times earlier in my career when she was starting out, and she I what I know about Tori is that she worked hard at being an actress. Um. And and all the way through the series too, so that's a, yes, exactly. a yeah. Um, we should note too that Tony Shepard's who brought you in, right? Is that? Um. Yes, I, I think so. I think so. Chuck, you would know. Just, that. Oh, you know what? I think Bob Harbin did. Bob Harbin might have mentioned me to you because I had a track record with him, and he was head of Fox Casting. So, and I was coming off of Growing Pains. And looking for jobs, so there. Yeah, I yeah. Was. yeah, Chuck. Well, you can't hear you now, Chuck. Point Page was not a Fox show, though. It was uh, ABC, right? Uh, yes. yes, correct, correct. He and I were friends. Bob Harbin and I were friends. 
so initially then what is what is the first thing that you you get brought in it's exciting you're you're going to be there you kind of know everybody um was there we're going to talk to we're, we're going to play the James Eckhouse interview in this too oh, outside, okay. outside of the James Eckhouse thing was there anybody from the original pilot that they talked about maybe you know obviously we're going to talk about Luke needing needing this type of character but mm-hmm. was there anybody else that they said maybe we should replace out or because you know that happens with pilots yes it does um it was the father bringing someone new in for the father and i remember in the interview with chuck he talked about adding dylan and i had just been working on a pilot for another company and i had met someone and the more he talked about the character i was like oh i know who this should be and that's a fortunate thing to have happened. And I, and I remember, I, I guess my eyes lit up or something, but I remember Chuck looking at me and saying, you know somebody, don't you? And I said, yes. Do you remember that, Chuck? I do not, but I'm I do. <laughs> say, we're moving here to Luke, that, um, that Luke did not come in on the first day that we cast. No. I think he came in the second day. I think and- we had listened to um, a really excellent monologue written by David Sten, who at that point was, you know, was there for the first 12 episodes. But this was his, my, my opinion, his finest bit of writing was Luke trying to deal with an operator and get to his father in, in France. Was, and, and hearing 12 actors who looked like they were going out for a skateboard commercial um, you know, because because obviously we said likes to surf in it in the, the, the character breakdown. Right. Um, and when Luke finally started reading the part, it was like, oh, not only maybe can we cast this character, but maybe we can have a a, a real TV series too. Yes. I remember thinking both things. It was a it was a as we say here, it's just come through the Jewish New Year's. It was a mitzvah. <laughs> Wait, so that's who it was. It was Luke Perry. That's who you were. That's who you were thinking of, Diane. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just to confirm that, because <laughs> yes. I thought. No, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. He. Um, if you want to hear, I'll tell you when yeah. I met. He. I was working on a show at pa- a pilot at Paramount, and a ca- fellow casting director called me and said, "I don't know what you're working on, but my husband, who's an agent, and I knew that." represents this actor and you really should meet him you really should he's terrific and so was I this think, when you were at growing pains or where no we're, this was after okay yeah this mm-hmm. was after and i had built up some uh, reputation with younger actors and you know younger meaning like mid-20s and below sure yeah and mm-hmm. so that i said sure you know i'll see you when another casting director calls you i think that you should see who they call you about because they're putting themselves out on the line and so I said sure and my assistant Kelly set him up and he came in for a general meeting with me and he walked in and I looked at him and I thought oh you're really not right for this role and he came and sat we shook hands he sat down and he looked at me and he said you know I'm not right for this don't you and I said yes I do (laughs) And and it was a great meeting. And we, you know, it was that honesty 
that you try to always get, but might not always get. And we had a great chat. And I said, as he was leaving, I said, I, I will remember you for something else. And he said, I know you will. And so he left. And then a few months later, <laughs> there was the opportunity. Um, do you at all remember who some of the other people, we've heard a lot of people claim that they read for Dylan. Do you remember anybody else who read for Dylan? I, the other actor that I know we took to the network was an actor named Kirk Geiger. Okay. And he, you know, he did a nice job. He just, you know, Luke was the person. And I have my info right here. Chuck, do you remember Kirk Geiger? I do not. It, it, I do not. By the time we were going to... Uh, Fox, it was especially at this point, he had already, Luke had already read for Aaron, and um, he was uh, overwhelmingly our, our choice. Gotcha. Um, who, 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 what else do you have there, Diane? Um, well, I have a list. Matt LeBlanc was on the list. Uh, I can't remember if he came in at all. An actor named Trevor Edmond, Sean Patrick Flannery. Trevor Carl. Edmond did eventually get cast on 90210. Mm -hmm. It yes. took him a long, long time in, in the later seasons, but he was one of the people that did say that he he read for, for Dylan a long time ago. And a lot of the people that I met for Dylan or some of the larger roles, I would always like put them aside, remember for something else. And I would bring people in, I think I've said before, it for multiple times for different roles, you know, just, you know, if somebody in the room liked them a lot and they said, remember this person, this actor for something else, you know, mm -hmm. and I would. Who else do you have after Trevor Edmund? I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, I mean, David Gray, Sean Patrick Flannery, who has been a good working actor for a long time. And Carl Evans, Keith Coogan, Matt well, I, I, think Carl, Carl, I think Carl Evans came in later on to 90210 as well, right? He did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I am a repeat. No, but no, that's, I mean, but that's really great that, you know, that one, he was considered for this, and then you did find something for him in, in the universe of 90210. Yeah. You, I think that that's how it should work. You know, an actor comes in, takes his time also to come in and we read, get along. And I think he's good, but not particularly perfect for this, but almost. Did you, I mean, there's no way Trevor Edmonds or Carl Evans or Dylan McKay. I mean, that, I mean, then that's no disrespect yes. to those, to those actors. They're phenomenal actors. And what they did bring to 90210 is great in the characters, but Luke Perry is Dylan McKay. That's yeah. Now, but I did, someone told us a, a while back that Luke's first reading didn't go that great. Is that true? Did I make, or am I making that up? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. For Luke Perry. Whom, for, for Diane or me? Or for you. He nailed it. The first, he was, the, I guess, told the story. He was the first time that, uh, that the, that the words made any sense and, uh, and nailed it. And uh, uh, Tony Shepard taught me to put something on the on the, the sheet if you really like somebody you just wrote down otw which stood for onto wardrobe and i remember i was the first person i wrote it for um you know no i i now he may have gotten nervous in front of aaron he may have gotten I think nervous so. and i know 
I know he was very nervous at Fox because yeah. that was a nerve wracking uh, uh, place and, and an organization at that time. And and, um, and and I believe that they were pretty lukewarm to him. Uh, no pun intended on the word Luke there, <laughs> but we're, we're pretty lukewarm to him. We did not make him an all episode deal. We Mr. Spelling had to. Uh, do something that would be very rare for him to do, which was actually to have um, that, 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 the, that our production company would pay for the actor, not right. the network um, uh, at certain cases. So, um, you know, we, we were committed. I don't think they were. But again, I think that's part of the Fox culture of the time under Barry Diller, that I'm Barry Diller and nobody could be good enough. So we'll take you, but you're really not good enough. I and mean, that, that kind of was the, and by the way, people, one of those people, was named Matt Groening, created um, The Simpsons. Of course, The Simpsons wasn't good enough for Fox at the time. And it's in an air that it is. So that is just the pervasive feeling that was at Fox at that, at that time. Can you walk us through what the stages are for an actor? Like, particularly for Luke, you just mentioned a network, you mentioned Aaron, reading for you and for you two together what how many phases were there for for something like this Gener for a role like this it's generally they um i send out a break a casting director sends out a breakdown for a certain role actor actors are submitted agents and managers call and talk to the casting person so you meet a lot of actors so that's considered a pre-read for me and then I go through all, the casting director goes through all of the actors she's seen, actors who won't come in and read for the casting director, but are well known enough that they can go straight to the producers and mm. the director. And so that in that case, you set up the first casting session and sub subsequent casting sessions and you bring in so especially for a series regular, you bring in more people than you would for an episode, an episode, because in an episode, like you bring in a few, but for a series regular, you can bring in ad infinitum until the producers find someone that they really believe in. And then you have callbacks for that for that role and the producers look again just to see if they are a second time right for the role or good enough to keep a consistent performance or reading. And then you take them to the production company and that's Aaron Spelling. Uh, and all the time you're talking to the head of casting for the department for the company. So I talked to Tony constantly about who I was bringing in, who he was suggesting, people like that. And he would say, this is, we have a history with this person or we didn't, or I don't know that person. And I would set up people he knew and people that I wanted to bring in. And then after Aaron and production, there would be the network? Yes. Yes, then I would, and also in addition to Tony, I'd always be talking to the head of network casting, uh, Bob Harbin, and also Wendy Matthews was in charge of 90210 casting for Fox. So I talked to her a lot. They gave their, they uh, gave their 
ideas for the role. So everybody was seen if they were interested because a lot of people are not interested in a production at the time and they didn't know the show. So. I guess that's a good point to ask too. Were you having trouble casting people on 90210 because it was an unknown show? We didn't know. Chuck just told me before we came on here, they didn't even know if they were going to get six episodes out of this. So were you struggling with some of that? With the character of Dylan, I don't know that I struggled too much because of I had Luke in my the back of my head. But yes, at the very beginning in the episodes, I did. We would set up actors to come in for guest roles or smaller roles, and they wouldn't show up. And we would be at, in the theater where we had the readings at Spelling. And I'd be calling my Kelly and saying, where are they? They're not here yet. And there were times when I would say a good 40% of the actors were not showing up because they didn't know and didn't understand you know, what it was. Yes, it was a job, but they didn't show up. Any famous no-shows that we might be interested in? <laughs> I don't think so. Not, not <laughs> that I remember on that one. Yeah. Because all I know is that I was just sweating and I'd have to come back into a room of producers. And Where like, is she? Yeah. That's exactly going. You know, I said, they're not here yet. I'm really sorry. Let me find out what's going on. Chuck, do you remember that? Yeah, well, I do. I do do remember that. And I do remember. You're good. One of those days. I'm sorry, Pete. You're good. Um, I do remember that well, being in the spelling had built himself a beautiful casting room that was really um, similar, very similar if, if by design to ABC's casting room, uh, which I had been in for a couple of TV movies. But it was not just, you know, it was not just me and Diane or Tony also Darren Starr was very always very interested in casting. So Darren would be there at this point. The other man I mentioned, David Sten. I would always encourage the writer of a given episode to be in there as well. So, you know, it was a it was a room and there was a room of hopeful expectation. And I uh, someone who did not know casting or the or the local talent agencies very well kept noticing that. There was nobody with um, represented by CAA, William Morris, or ICM, which at that point was the triumph. You muted again, Chuck. An episodic show go. like ours. Um, what was it like for you, Chuck, when the person wouldn't show up? I'm sure I, I, Chuck Rosen back in that time was not thrilled. Well, I didn't know enough about casting to make many conclusions about anything except the one I just said to you, realizing that we were a, as a TV show goes, we were a bottom feeder and, you know, that, that you, you work with what you got, you know, what, what are you going to do with you when you don't? I, I wasn't a rookie to television by this point. I had already been in the business for 12 years, just not as a producer, as a writer. So I wasn't as exposed to it. So I'm not going to make the same kind of presumptions uh, that I might make in areas where uh, of post-production, sure. uh, which I had been familiar with as a documentarian even before I got into show business. 
So so Luke does great as Dylan, and then you mentioned that he struggled at, with the network and that Aaron paid his salary, right? I mean, Diane, do you remember that aspect of I do remember of... that conversation, yes. Yes. What was that like? Tell me about that. It was just, you know what? It was business. And it's casting is part of the business part of it. And even though it's creative, you know, as is writing and directing and all the others, but that was business. And I do remember that what happens before, I think it's before you go to the network is you try to have a deal in place for the actor. So once you know who you want, you don't get sucked into a big, huge increase in salary. And I had gotten quotes from the act from Luke's agent and his manager. And we have to, as part of the business of it, you track down the accuracy of those quotes and the quotes were not accurate. And I, I just thought, I kept looking at it and thinking, this is not right. And so, and I'm not saying anybody, you know, did anything wrong. They were doing, they were doing their job from their point of view. And I, you, when you think about that, you have to go and get the accurate quote. So I went to the production companies and I said, this is what I was told. Could you please give, you know, tell me what, what, if that's correct, if it's correct, then that's great. Or if it's not. And there are, are many, many times you're told as a casting director that it's incorrect. Um, so are you saying that the quote is higher or lower in this case? Higher. Mm -hmm. In this case, it was the, I had been told it was higher. Mm -hmm. And um, I found out that it had, it was actually lower. And so I went back and I said, this is what I found out. This is who gave me this information, just so everything's above board. And the person who was doing the deal for him at spelling, and I'm assuming it was Lou Patrick again, she could do what she could do with that information mm. and make a, make a uh, better deal, I would say, um, or, you know, make the best deal she could for the company. Chuck, do you have any recollection of all this? No, go ahead. Okay. Good. Yes, I do, but I was not involved with these um, conversations at the time. I, I um, the, the, that a smaller agency would try to jack up a client's quotes is the same equivalent of that moment in Casablanca when they go gambling, gambling on the premises, you know, it, 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 it's part and parcel of what goes on, which is why Diane had to double check every time, especially when a actor is kind of coming out of the blue and, um, and not part of the institutional fabric of the industry. Mm. Yes. So he does get cast and obviously, you know, everybody's happy with it now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Um, yeah. Was it nice to see that though, Diane, when you saw him finally in the role in the in the episode of the green room, when Dylan debuts, was it, not, was it your vision of knowing exactly this person? Like, what is your thoughts about, about seeing it? It, I, I was so happy that people liked him and I knew from having been a casting director for a while that there's always a possibility that it couldn't, it wouldn't have worked out, 
but I, I was really, really happy. And I didn't, I didn't think to myself, oh, I'm so great. I did this, you know, that kind of thing. I was just really happy for him and happy to, uh, for the show. And then with everything that happened to everyone on the show, I was like, oh my gosh, isn't this a wonderful situation? Yeah. You know, it's the people like it. That's what I was, I was, I was happy for Chuck and everybody involved with the show. It just was because you work so hard in trying to put a really good show together and to have the country like it to have the audience you you know bringing this your what you have put on the line of yourselves to the country and the audience and to have them respond so well mm. and it, I think that's terrific and that's that it gives you satisfaction yeah okay I did this one role I did this role and it went well but on to the next it was it would have been Luke's birthday yesterday. Um, yeah. I'm sure you, you know, how how. When was the last time you chatted with him? I'm curious. It yeah. had been a long time. Go ahead. Go ahead. How old would he have been yesterday? Oh, oh I think it was like I think he was, I think 56 maybe. I think is what mm -hmm. I read. I'm not gonna don't quote me on that, but um, what what did what was the last time that you chatted with him, and what were you what were your thoughts about when he passed away? me yeah um it had been a while since i chatted with him because i had been so far removed from the industry but we always had a great chat and there are things i will always remember about luke he uh gave me came to my office and gave me a christmas present that first year and it was a magnifying glass and that he said and, and a horseshoe and i still have both and he said the magnifying glass was to help me look for other people like him. Mm. And I just thought that was one of the sweetest things ever. And he also signed a poster of eight seconds for me, which I had framed and it's up in my house and has been ever since I got it. It was in my office to begin with. Mm. And so I, I always have like really fond memories of him. And when I heard that he had passed away, I was in Seattle still and getting ready to go to work. And I thought I heard it on the radio and I thought, I can't, no, that's, it's, that's not right. And so I, I had to listen to more closely and stopped what I was doing. And I just was devastated. Mm -hmm. And I thought about his family and mm -hmm. just everything goes through your head because it was such a huge, huge impact on something that I had done for a while. Sure. Uh, being selfish, but also thinking about the cast members and the producers, Chuck, everyone that we worked with. And I thought of Betty, Betty Reardon. And I actually waited a day and then I got into, I called her. Mm. And it was, we had just, we had an hours long conversation and just talked memories of Luke. Yeah. Nice. The other big role, of course, was the father, replacing the father. And uh, that was James Eckhouse. And here's an interview that we did uh, with James when he surprised you. Um, hey, Diane, look who we've decided to reunite you with this morning here, Mr. James Eckhouse. <gasps> oh. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's me. No hair, but you know. Oh, that is you. How are you? I am so happy to see you. You make my so day. Oh, we were just man. we were just uh, cavelling about you and and how gorgeous you look, and you do look gorgeous. You look fantastic. Oh, you are very very kind. No, you do. Cannabis. <laughs> we're a little action. upset that you haven't aged, and we have. It's not really fair, Diana. <laughs> well, she aged well, and all right, she aged up. well. Yes. Yeah. I as well. I think we all look fabulous. That's that? right, darling. Darling, we look Absolutely. great. <laughs> but you know what I had yesterday? I don't have it today because I didn't bring any things with me. I had your headshot from when you came into the show. Me? For the first time. Yes. Oh, that's scary. You. You did, you did have to audition, James. I, I, I remember I that. Th thanks to you. Yeah, well, we won't even go there. Thanks to both of you to keep me going. Yeah. Well, I, I wanna I wanna talk about that day. I remember the first day I remember wait, very, wait, very well. So wait, the first thing was that there was a different dad initially cast on 90210. Lyman Ward. Just so the fans understand what's happening here. And, and he's a, he's lovely. He's a lovely oh, he's, actor. He's yeah. a fabulous actor. He's just so, not Jewish, that's all. Uh, <laughs> So yeah. what happened? You know, and, and, and of course, the Walshes were secretly Jewish people. We just never told anybody. <laughs> well, we know, but you know, Carol's, I mean, Carol always told me the story that after I left, when we did, I'm sorry, I'm jumping in here, but when we did the final, it was it was meeting with Aaron and um, Campbell, what was Ken, Ken was a good friend of mine. And, and I mean, I knew all the guys, we were all up for it. And I was like, oh, there's no way. And I remember I read with Carol, Diane, you must've been there in the room with, with Aaron. Yes. And and what Carol told me was, I left the room and Aaron said, you know, well, oh, there's, I don't know, there's something about that Eck house. And Carol said, yeah, he's Jewish. <laughs> 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 to play the wasp. Oh, it's so funny. I don't funny. remember that. <laughs> oh, we, we used to always say in the writer's room, that was our, that was our thing America didn't realize. We were writing a Scotch, I was Jewish family from Minneapolis. <laughs> you know? well, Chuck, um, Chuck, what happened with the original actor? Why don't we just set the record on that? Well, the, the, the truth is there's, okay, so you make a pilot. Fox made this pilot and the, the pilot was imperfect. And Barry Diller, the head of the Fox Broadcasting Company is a perfectionist. So every show that he had, it didn't matter what, he would recast somebody. <laughs> it really? was without almost without exception during wow. his his time at, at Fox. You knew that, right, Diane? That he just he just would the lead, the original lead. We knew the original lead of Twenty One Jump Street, and it was not um, uh, Johnny Johnny Depp. It was an it was a you know a different actor. Oh yeah, some, no, I remember that. Yeah, for some reason. You know, Barry picked that one out and said, if we change this, it'll make the show. Now, wow. I don't know why that, that changed, why Lyman Ward. I never met Lyman Ward. I, I know that I was much more comfortable having a Jim, Jim Walsh to be portrayed by you than Lyman Ward, uh, especially if you remember one of the key things, or I felt one of the key things about Jim and, and Carol being brought to prime time is that we were presenting parents of my generation who were against the war in Vietnam and weren't didn't advertise it, but was part of their 
yeah. knowing it was their background and caused some friction between your character and your character's father. I don't think I would have come up with that with Lyman Ward. I don't think he's that. I think but, I remember bringing in some footage from being tear gassed in Grant Park in, in Chicago in 68. I think, remember, <laughs> that was key. <laughs> It was, and, we, and 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 then and then you put on some sly stone music just to make I, it really know I, I did. was in Chicago. You know? So that Wait. you knew that I could do the stones when we did this, you know, when we hmm. did the Christmas thing, and I had. Uh, yeah, you, you did. Know, you kind of rocked you out. Rocked you kind of knew right? that the Jew had some moves in him. <laughs> moves like Jagger, right? Yeah. Well, what? So so anyway, we we're going to change it, and I think it was possibly our first casting session. Where you came in, James. Um, yeah. Huh. Wow, it, and it was uh, we remember it, it, in the we we were such a I'm going to use a Yiddish word here for Kakta, uh show at that point that our we were based in the post production facilities of Twin Peaks. Yes, I that, remember that. I remember going there. I do. And, yeah. and, and thinking, God damn, I wish I could be with Twin Peaks and not these. <laughs> but but I felt like such a poser. I had only been in a professional casting situation. On one project, it was I wrote a script about the Beach Boys for ABC, and the reason that Len Hill, the late Len Hill, uh, asked me to if I wanted to sit in casting, is that he knew that TV movie writers will do free rewrites if you let them pretend that they're producers. <laughs> and as the only time I had ever been, um, and and I went and I remember um, Len said something to one of the actors like, "Nice adjustment." And for the first three to four episodes, that's all I would say in casting. Oh, nice adjustment. But I did love hearing that. Oh, that's so great. That's so great, man. But I did know that I had to um uh that I had seen you on TV that week doing 30 something. I remember you told me that. And if you were good enough for Zwick Hershkowitz, you were good. And you were very good in the part. It was a political thing. I, I, I think a political character. You know, that's like, that I can tell you. You, do you know that I was. Yes. I was roommates with Kenny Olin. I kid you not. Right. And I hadn't seen him for years and years and years. And uh, Ed and Marshall had cast me in a pilot called Sawdust. And we did it the same year as 30 something. I played the lead. I played this accountant who run who buys this rundown rinky dink circus. And wow. um, needless to say, our pilot didn't go, but 30 something did go. <laughs> and that's that's where I'd met uh, Ed and Marshall. Well, that's a you know, of course, that was the TV, that was a lot of pedigree, that was number. Now we're a couple of years later, and you walk in the door. And you know, bad LA traffic, this crazy show that nobody knows, nobody thinks it's gonna last at all. And it wasn't your finest reading, but I didn't care at all. Cause I knew that, well, this man is a good actor and we and you came back and the rest is history. Well, I almost missed the audition. I, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I had another pilot audition that they wanted me to go to. And I was like, what's what's 90210? I mean, I I was I had the same <laughs> snooty attitude. And I was like, I, I'm not gonna do a 90210. You know, I was like, no, that doesn't and, and it was this wasp guy friend. I was like, no. And 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 God love my wife, Kelleher said, You get your ass to that audition. She's the one who said, You have to go to that. 
And I said, oh, come on, I can't do it. She said, do both. You can do it. Just go to that audition and then you'll get over to the other one. And I did. And that's why I showed up. In all the traffic. <laughs> do you remember what the other one was? No, I don't even remember. And I don't think it, I, and I, I didn't get it. And I don't remember it being of any consequence whatsoever. So Diane, what is your take? What do you remember about yeah, let's James? Talk and, about, let's hear yeah. from Diane. Yeah. No, don't talk about me. Don't talk about me. Talk about <laughs> oh, no, let's let's talk about you. No, no, no. no. Um, I just remember, I'm trying to remember, did I meet you beforehand or did I just bring you in? Because you were just, you were with you, such you a good agent. You brought me in. Yeah, I, yeah, that was like a producer session kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. And it's just, I remember just liking you oh. as a human being and as an actor. And I liked your credits. And you were just really, I used to this word a lot yesterday in talking about actors, but you were just easy. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I'm a pushover. Yeah. Well, not I, a no, pushover, but just I, that, that to me, it was comfortable. Yeah. And that to me was always incredibly important yeah. for well, that, all of it. And that means a lot. Um, a nice human and we went on to to chat through the years and it was terrific and just you know i think you're terrific and well, i i i saw two things that makes me think one is back at you i mean when i geez when 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 the the talent that you brought into that show is i mean stunning you know what i mean and people who hillary swank and 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 um sean levy i mean i know he's got he's like huge he's the mr producer director of the world you know and i i've since he is yeah you know i mean the and 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 um uh um well hillary i didn't bring in she came oh, in in okay. the uh, eighth season i think mm -hmm. And that was that was and she and a, and a, and I understand she has very fond memories of her time on nine <laughs> because the difference was and it was a huge difference is is and it was started with Diane is that we really treated our actors very well extremely yeah. well people yeah. were happy being there people used to come and tell us all oh, I'd be stopped all the time boy is this the most unique show everybody's so nice. Yeah. Again yeah. and again, I would hear the same thing. Yeah, and, that's and, incredible. And uh, that's a reflection of all of us, really. But but also yes. that 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 um, that's hard to maintain. But I think that the, the kind of that I'm I'm loving to hear when you say Diane. I look not just for the talent, but who the individual was. Yes. Especially on the recurring parts, who was going to be able to fit in and be there. And yes, uh, I and that was. Yeah, that was something that if I had heard something about an actor, I would ask the agent. And if the if I felt the agent wasn't being straight with me because I maybe I didn't know them well enough. Yeah, I would. And they had a manager or I knew people who had worked with them or the casting director. I would make those calls. And I remember several that I did that on. And I just, and as good as they might've been, I just couldn't do it. It's um, maybe that was wrong on my part, but it, I thought that it added to what we were just talking about Yeah. and what Chuck but, was saying. You know, it speaks to something though, that, cause I teach a lot and it's it, you, Chuck, you know, we're from another generation. I mean, I was telling, I was telling my actors this yesterday, I was saying, you know, there was a time in New York 
when I would get a call for a major film, you know, like with a big director, particularly a British director, okay? <laughs> and I'd walk into the room and I had prepared the scene and the cat and I'd come in and they would say, uh, you know, we'd talk and have a lovely talk. And then I'd say, well, you know, do you want me to read? And he would say, oh, no, no, darling. No, 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 no. Um, Gene's had you come in. We know you're a good actor. We don't have to worry. I just wanted to get a feel for you. You would get cast because of there, you, there, you didn't have to prove yourself. It was like, you went to Juilliard, you know, you did all this, you did all yes. this. We know you can act. We've got that. Yes. That's that's no question. I want to feel whether you, I want to have you on my team, you know? Yeah. So, and 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 it's uh, it's a little different now. <laughs> <laughs> Now there's no walking in the room, I understand. There's no walking in the take. room. It's deadly for us, for actors. I mean, it's hard for, you it's, know. Something I'm still fascinated by yesterday, Diane, is that you told us that you read Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yes. For 90210? Whoa. As Yeah. Yeah, as did the producers. I brought them to the producers. And, <laughs> and they read. Chuck, do you remember that? No, because if... That producer was not named Rosen. That was a season six or seven. Oh, season. okay. All right. No, it was actually through the seasons, through um, a couple of the seasons. Chuck passed. <laughs> what part? What part? I, you know what? I That I don't remember, but I know they both came in more than once. And um, Ben didn't come in after a couple of times anymore because he was focused, if, you know, somewhere else. But Matt kept kept coming in and that's something that I will always remember and on the, wow. the yeah the last time that he came in I was talking to him afterwards and I said oh you know I thought you did a great job we're going to go with somebody else and I said I'm you know I hate to keep dragging you in and you never get the role but I will always bring you in and he said never ever worry about me not coming in he said I will always come in I'm an actor and I just, I loved him for that. It was mm. just, it was generous. And that's, uh, that taught me a lot, again, about actors. You know, they, because some people get tired of coming in, but others do not. And he was the one who was always ready to show up. Never forget that. That's, that's an incredible lesson. And uh, a testament to you to say that to him too. I mean, that, you know, because, that does happen a lot. I mean, I you know, there's yeah. shows that I, there was a, a, a show I won't name, but I went in 17 times. I kid you yeah. not, 17 times. And I did get upset. I thought, come on, the producers know who I am by this time. It's like, yes. you can make, you know, no, you had to go in, but I got it my 17th time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it's the great belief in you as, as a casting director. Is yeah. that whoever that casting director was? Yeah. And that you keep trying because it's it's a belief. Yeah. Mm. In 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 talent and what you can do and really wanting you on the job. Yeah. And an underlying it's, sense of masochism, of course. <laughs> well, oh. <laughs> James, you mean us? You mean actors? James, was there when you after you auditioned? Did you feel that you nailed nine hundred two one zero the audition? Did no. you feel? Not a, no, no. Like Chuck said, it wasn't my finest hour. I never expected to get called back. That then the callback was better. Callback um, was a lot better, and the best one was for Aaron. And the, and, the, and Aaron, I felt really good about it. But I also was kowtowed because, as I said, it was Ken Campbell, and 
And then he went to network and I'll never forget this, um, who's fabulous actor and is as wasp Scottish, you know, Christian as you could possibly be. And we, we both were at the, um, oh, and then who is, who is the tall actor? Who's also a wonderful teacher, you know? Um, oh my God, my name, I, ah, it's an old, old tall, uh, dark hair. He was also in, he was at with the, the audition at Aaron's. I, I was sure. like, um, there's no way I'm gonna, I mean, I just thought, no, I'm the wrong, in the wrong tribe, there's no way. And, I, and at the, at the um, network audition, which is terrifying, you know, <laughs> Ken Campbell comes in and he, had he was on set. He had been doing something, he was in full makeup and he looked glorious and he was absolutely full of himself. Like, you know, he, he just, and, and, and an actor named Luke Perry and I were in the bathroom together Luke was almost throwing up. I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? We looked at each other and we had just met and we loved each other. And we were like going, this is not going to work. We, he was terrified. I was terrified. I was almost ready to go. I was like, well, Ken's got the part. What's the point? You know, you never know. Yeah, but, but you know, Ken didn't look like my father. He didn't look like your father. And I, and, and plus I had been a pediatrician. At least I'd played a pediatrician. So. <laughs> Do you remember getting the call eventually that you got it and what that what that was like? Okay, that's a whole other thing too. I don't know if this is true or not, but when I came back from the network audition, which I know I didn't do well because I was nervous, and I called my agent, it was Michael Lazo, and we were so broke and so poor. I had two kids by that time. You know, it was like actor, like ready to give up. And I, and I didn't hear anything. And I, I called Michael and I said, did you hear anything? I said, I, I, I don't think I did very well. I think, I, I hate to say it, but I, I think I really sucked. And he calls me back and he goes, well, James, you were right. I was like, oh shit, you sucked, <laughs> but you got the part anyway. <laughs> oh oh that. my God. I, was like, and I don't want to divulge secrets here, but you know, James had credits. And somebody's um, value in a pilot is kind of based on what they've done before and what they've been paid before and had they been in pilots before. So James was, I believe, for most of the, the Rosen run, was the second highest paid actor in the ensemble. Well, I'm sorry to speak out of you. You know this. We'll keep that in and, here. That doesn't and, go outside. And, and he um, and the thing that was great is that the other, you know, Jay would, you know, especially during double ups, he'd have to work seven days. James would have two days, but with the same value. So you, it no, was no, a good. Gig. That was it a was gift. a good gig. Diane or Chuck, Diane or Chuck, do you remember when it was becoming finalized that James was going to be the person? Do you do you guys remember any of that? Yeah, Chuck. I, I, um, what I remember about that day that, that talk about his confusion, uh, your confusion, James, my confusion on the day that you and Luke and that final casting day in the basement of Fox, I walked up to, walked up to Paul Stupin, who was head of, um, uh, the current division then. He was the vice president. He was number two under Peter Chernin to ask him, 
Am I working for Aaron Spelling or Yanni Spetz-Watson? Because they keep telling me different things, and I don't know who I work for. So that's how confused I was. And he looked at me, and he went, Aaron Spelling. I went, okay, now I know. Okay. Now you know. Now there's no, 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 uh, Diane, how is how is working with with Aaron for you? I'm curious to know. And I guess we're not allowed to, to but you know, what, what, <laughs> he's God rest his soul. Exactly. He, you know what? He was always nice to me. Occasionally, I'd get a phone call from him. It was what I remember mostly about the audition, and it, it was actually Luke's audition in Aaron's office. Because Luke sat back on his chair and put his feet up on the antique table, little tables that were there. And I was looking at him going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know how much those probably cost. <laughs> <laughs> and he, it was just like, it was who he was. And yeah. so I had to take myself down a notch internally. And yeah. just, Aaron was fine with it. Oh, I'll bet. And, he was he was friendly with everybody yeah. who came in and very very gracious but what i remember most about aaron there are a couple of things um one was when he he'd call me every so often and we would talk about tori as an actress and how she's grown and things like that and how proud he was of her and i loved that i thought mm -hmm. that was so wonderful and the other one was personal and it was when my grandmother passed away and I had to change and we were in, we were starting to cast something and, but it was, the season hadn't really started yet. And I came into the office and he gave me a huge, huge hug, told wow. me how sorry I was. And did he, I want him to talk to Fox about getting my mother and I the corporate plane to go up to Seattle. Wow. And I, I looked at him wow. and I said, oh, no, no, that's not necessary. And he said, no, I'll, I'll do that for you. I can make that call. And that is something I will never in my entire lifetime forget oh. because it was so generous. So That's generous amazing. and kind. Chuck, yeah. did you ever get the offer for the corporate plane somewhere? Yeah, Chuck. I got one, a taxi cab. Uh, I'd offer have a taxi cab downtown once. I, I, I got that. <laughs> but you had to split it, though, as I remember, right? Everything yeah. with Aaron, you know, everything with Aaron. <laughs> and we'd have these charity events, and he'd say, okay, let's split a table. I'm going, Aaron, yeah. <laughs> $50,000. And I'll yeah. buy my seat or James, those things I'm, would get kind of pricey. I'm, yeah. I'm curious. I've never asked you about this, but when when they when the parents were written out of 90210, did you look at that as were you excited by that? Were you upset by that? Were you excited that you can go on and start doing some other things, or how did you feel when that when that happened? Well, first of all, I hated making that kind of money. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, who who would want that? Right. Um, <laughs> And, and accolades and, start, and you were a director and right, i was right. and i was starting to direct which was really one of the most you know and that's the thing i remember working with diane is is where i got to work with you as a casting you know to cast and that was mm -hmm. i i i got you know i always felt that the actor felt taken care of in the room and that meant so much to me as an actor you know what i mean and i i knew that whoever diane brought in they were going to feel worthy 
and let me tell you something, uh -huh. Diane, that is so rare. You have no idea. Okay. You have no idea. I wow. have a lot of very close friends who are casting directors, you know, I come know you do. The ranks, <laughs> and you're, you know, one of the few. And it's really, it, it's, it's, it's because see, this is what gets me is I'm going to do a much better job if I feel confident and I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm honored, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, looked at it, not just like, oh yeah, you're just another thing. You know what I mean? It's like, don't you want the actor to give their best work in front, you know, to, in the room? You know what Absolutely. I mean? It's, it's, it's <laughs> so crazy. Sometimes it's, yeah. it can be very adversarial and I go, okay, I get it. It's, you know, on a set, it's, there's a lot of pressure. There's 70 people all around you all doing different jobs and you've got to be able to walk into the room and own the space. So there's a challenge to it, but in that audition, I mean, when I audition people, you know, and this never happened with you, but I went on to another show, people who you were talking about earlier, and <laughs> when I cast for that show, and, and casting is such a hugely political process. Yes. You, right, Chuck? I mean, what you were talking about, not knowing what to say, I can remember my first casting on, on the other series, and when I went into that, it was terrifying because if I said, you felt like you'd say, well, th they were pretty good. And they would be like, are you kidding me? That person, you know, what are you talking about? You know? And what I would do is I would, because I, I would know these actors, they'd come in and I could feel they were nervous. And I'd say, hey, that's great. Just do it again. Just throw it away. Just do it again. Yeah. Just do it, you know, have a second. Because you know, I could feel they weren't cooking, but I knew that they were good actors, you know? Yeah. I would, by certain people who are from the network who are in the room, I would get my, I would get cut down. How, how dare you waste the time like that? You knew we weren't going to cast them. I thought, give me a break. Mm. I just want to give them a chance, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It happens a lot. And I've observed on <sighs> dozens and dozens and dozens of shows, as you know, Chuck, because that's the only way I was able to, to get to, to, and I'm glad I did, you know? With, with Jimmy Whitmore, with with uh, every one of our directors, with, oh, you know, with with Bethany, of course, you know. Oh yeah. Observing, you observing on shows. Very Bethany. lovely, lovely work as a director too. So I mean, it's it's, oh, thank it's you. really beautiful stuff that you that you did as an actor. Oh, it was my first yeah. time, you know. But I thank you. But it was I, oh, I, I mean, we had a DP who was one of the most gentlemanly gentlemen ever, ever. We could not have done uh, 32 episodes without Rick Gunther. The late Rick Gunther, you know. I'm sorry. I'm, this is Diane's show, but so my first time directing and I'm um, certain cast members were <clears throat> late uh, for the uh, <laughs> morning call and uh, I was getting very, very nervous and um, and I kept looking at my watch and Rick comes over and he goes, What's, let me see your watch. And I go, what? He goes, let me see your watch. He goes, take it off. I go, take it off. And I give it to him. And he says, I'll give it to you at the end of the episode. That's not your job. It, it, it was, he was so. That's great. Very freeing. Never heard that story. Yeah. That's good. It was such a lesson. You know, yeah. don't let the AD take care of that. You do your job. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think this is great, guys. Anything else, Chuck, that you want to bring up or go or mention? I just, uh, today, one of my, we've done this how many years now, Pete? It seems like forever. 
Yeah. This is one of my favorite ones, two of my favorite people, really. Uh, ah. Okay, you. I, I'm so here. happy to be here. It's so good to see Diane. And I, I, I really, you, you really brought a, a lot of magic to our show. And you, and you know, you're highly responsible for the success of our series. And that's I think, right. I think and we she all put, know that. and she put up with Paul's teasing. And she put up with Paul's teasing, which was merciful. Mercifully. <laughs> when I told Diane yesterday as a super fan of 90210, it's like she literally was a part of, I mean, the first seven seasons are the seasons that we all care the most about. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and the far, first five, even more first so. First five, especially. <laughs> yeah. Especially. It, 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 it is true. I mean, but Diane had a hand in bringing all of these people into a room and into and into the universe, into the 90210 space, right? Like she's, she was a big part of all of that and seeing everybody and literally seeing them, you know, seeing them in the room, but then seeing beyond who they were and giving them an opportunity that maybe they never would have gotten in and creating relationships between people outside of the show and that is another yeah. thing that you know i'm sorry but that's also come on life is what's really important you know to yeah. me and gillespie and matt and all, you know just oh, yeah. Nick, the great great people <laughs> that i just adored getting to know you know so yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know what to say. You guys are so terrific to me. And I really, that's, um, it means a lot. And there's that shakiness in that voice that sometimes people didn't like, but that's who I am. Mm. And um, I am very grateful. Yeah. Very, very grateful to all of you and for being found. And mm. I'm just grateful. And it would be, you know, let's continue this on. All right, let's talk about some of the other things, the big roles that were that were um, that you were looking at here in season one. I'm curious though, from the pilot, uh, Leslie Bega had a big role in the pilot. Um, was she someone that was talked about being brought into the series? I'm curious for both Diane and Chuck. I mean, Chuck, you've said you thought you'd be writing episodes for Leslie Bega's character. She reminded me of girls I went to high school with, the character that she played. So it just seemed that 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 north of sunset rich girl that would, you know, be crying in her bathroom and having 300 people at a party and and the, you know, the, the Porsche, her Porsche wasn't good enough. And and that was in the late 60s when everybody was so anti-materialistic that it just it almost, you know, would, would stand out. And there were only a couple of them and they were always the best looking women and you know, rich fathers, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, uh, she made sense to me as a character. And I was surprised that the company didn't go after her and they made it seem it had to do with money and I have good and face value and uh, never thought about it again until she came on our podcast. <laughs> but for you, Diane, was she somebody that was that was thought about being brought into the fold here to do more? You know what? I don't remember. I I knew her. I liked her in the pilot, and I don't remember her name being brought up again. And maybe she had another job. Maybe that was lacking on my part. But she was terrific in the pilot. Um, someone else we should talk about is Joey Tata. Was he was he was he pilot or is he he's with you, right? He was in the second episode. So he would uh, be that we did about every 
Beam has its price tag, written by Amy Spees, uh, which was about shoplifting. Right. Um, terrific uh, Nicole. Um, Nicole Parker, yeah, or Noelle Parker. Yeah. Our guest star. And uh, really, uh, I talk about Nicole before we get to Joey, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, Nicole was so good in the role that I know we couldn't always get the people we wanted, but you brought her in and she was a real, real uh, asset in that, um, that for us, she went on to do a, a star in TV movies. Um, a, what about her, Diane? She, she was almost it's, the exception that proved the rule. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck, wait, Chuck, Chuck, we both just referred to her as Nicole. It's Noelle Parker, I think. Well, is, I'm sorry, we Noel. both did it the way, and then we followed each other's lead by calling her the wrong name. So, uh, Noelle Parker, and she's even featured in the season, the series opener. She's the she's the body that's used too. She, you know, she was. I had known and met a lot of people in this age group. <laughs> for my previous job. And I always met more because people would all, agents and managers would always call me and say, would you meet this person? Can I send you tape on this person? And so I had built up some and I, you can't know everyone who is around. So like when a breakdown goes out or you're talking to agents and managers, they say, why don't you just meet them, have a chat with them, see what you think. And I got, I had agents and managers who were really terrific to me, who I had built up of relationships with, and they, they really helped me out. Mm. And I think that that was the case. They, and they would say, who do you need? What are you going to be needing? And this, these are, you know, young people again, here, this is who I've seen. And I also knew people who worked with brand new young actors as teachers, mm. acting acting coaches in town so I also got names from them and occasionally I'd go and watch um, a showcase and see who was new and working and you know a lot of times you can find people from that one plus you also go you do local local theater in Los Angeles is beyond amazing and you could go to a I don't want to call it you could go to the tiniest theater out in the San Fernando Valley and you could find someone. Mm. Oh, I like this person. I'd like to see them come in for something. And I don't know if it was before or after, but Noelle Parker was someone that played Amy Fisher. <laughs> she played in the oh. Amy Fisher story. That could be, yeah. 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 It was after. Go. It was afterwards. Mm. But I want to just amplify um, what Diane said about local about back then local theater in Los Angeles. Uh, I went to some really horrific small plays and there was always one or two actors that stood out mm. so what about joey tata do we want to talk about joey tata and what your recollection of that is diane um joey tata i remember bringing wanting to bring frank gorshin in from the submissions and joey tata was a friend of tony shepherd's and he called and said would you please bring him in so of course i did and so he came in and read what did you think of Joey's Joey's reading versus Frank Gorshin's reading? I know Chuck has given his opinions on that elsewhere. You know, it's just similar but different. Similar but different. And you have choices. And that's what it's all about. Which choice is going to service 
the stories that and the show is it going to be the one actor or is it going to be the other actor that you like and they were similar enough but different enough if that if i can get away with that you can get away with it but i mean joey tata is totally not absolutely absolutely he was yes yeah yes he was go ahead chuck he was comfortable It always felt to me, and this is, you know, you know, Frank Gorshin had done so much in his career um, that that sometimes, unfortunately, um, that that can be a, a, a weight, and and um, and so if I looked at him, and I'm thinking Batman. I'm not thinking about, and 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 he honestly, it, you know, it, as as we heard in the interview, and Diane talks about so much with why we all responded to, to James Eckhouse was that warmth that, that projects through. And Frank had, had a lot of, uh, he would have played it much differently. He would have played it like, I'm bitter, I don't want to be in this place, but I'm going to have sage advice for you, as opposed to Joey, who was just kind of warm and offbeat and you didn't kind of get him. And I wasn't introduced to him as Tony. He was not introduced to me as Tony Shepard's uh, friend, he was introduced to me as Duke Vincent's friend, and Duke Vincent oh. was Aaron's partner. And Duke and I, by this point, I'd say we screamed at each other at least once a day. <laughs> so that was not that big of an asset at that time. Although Duke, I, I do want to say one thing, get just a, a flashback to what we were talking about with Luke. So yes, the spelling company paid for Luke on some of the extra overtures and, and it was not every, and I remember the contract was not every episode produced it was what do they used to be called seven out of 13 was that yes. it yes so, so it was only partially um you know produced on that but because of that Duke who I learned a lot about how to be a producer from said to me anytime the network asks you to change something that's going to impact us financially you ask them who's going to pay for it just you know who's paying for this who's paying for this and i don't know if we would have come had the strength or the gumption to take that position every single time when a network asked us to upgrade our production um that i would have been confident in doing that had we not stepped up and paid for luke's um uh, salary because as i've said many times on our podcast first two seasons that we did 90210 we had the lowest license fee of all network television hmm. less money to play with than any other show being done at that time mm. uh someone else to mention lisa dean ryan who um nobody knows where she is anymore but lisa dean ryan was on doogie hauser yes she was a nice actress she Beautiful. was a nice working actress and i i don't know where she is now Um, but you know that happens people go off to other interests and they have may have families so they're taking care of their families so things change yeah and hollywood changes as well yeah chuck you know lisa dean was one of those people that just like uh, noelle parker just had a really range of talent and she was in one of our really important episodes in the uh, in in season one, the gentle art of listening, because you know, frankly, there were so many problems with the show that and 
that you know my authority as a showrunner, especially after we we switched line producers and brought in Paul Wagner, was in question, and I had to think to myself, um, uh, starting with uh, episode eight, we didn't even have a, a you know a title for it yet or, or a theme about it yet, is that you know um, I'm here because I can write people under the table, and at that point in my career, I used to feel that there were very few people who I could, uh, who could outwrite me and their names were like John Wells and David Kelly. So who I would go up against with, against with pilots. So I had a lot of confidence as a writer and the general art of listening, which is the one where Brenda comes in, works at a team line and, Suicide. and discovers yeah. that the popular girl is uh, a cheerleader might be one being harassed and, and raped after, um, the football games um, seemed to me a quintessential high school story. And I remember Lisa Dean just being great. And the interesting thing about it is, is that most of her um, performance, since we're really talking about her, was done because it was it was off screen. It was audio. And she also benefited, well, as, as we all did uh, in the series, because this was Dan Adius's first episode for us. And if anybody knew how to bring out the best in an actor, Dan Adius. Mm. That's right. We don't see. We actually don't see her till much later. You're right about that. Um, Angela Gillespie gets cast this season. I mean, and obviously she stayed on the whole series. So let's talk about casting Kelly's mom. I Anne was a good working actress who I knew, and I believe I had hired before. And she was she was solid. So those she was part of the actors that I brought in who had that background, and I knew that I could count on her. And I thought, and I knew Jenny, and I thought, okay, well, let's you know, I want to bring her in because I know she's good. You know, was insecure about casting. I mean, Diane and I, we talked about this um, off screen once, but you know, I basically told her I don't know anything about casting. I don't want to spend much time in casting. You do all the pre-reads you may bring and then just bring me two or three actors. I can't spend all day in a casting room, which a lot of uh, writers and producers like to do. Jessica Klein could have sat and cast it. Jessica Klein, if she had her brothers, would have gone to all the pre-reads with Diane. Uh, <laughs> Darren Starr, as I said, loves casting, loves actors. That wasn't my background. My background was you know, more out of news and, and post-production. Those were things I was more interested in and production as well. So. Um, the, the idea that, that I looked, I remember so clearly looking at Anne's resume, because they all, all actors bring that in at the time, and she had worked for Stephen Bochco on a series. And I went, oh, well, she's going to be good enough for my idol. And, <laughs> you know, this one is going to most likely be cast. And only later, years later, did I find out that it was Bochco's number one director was her brother-in-law, and that's who uh, cast her. So um, I, I admit I was uh, going on her auspices and not necessarily the work I was seeing in the room. Right. That's great. Big, big uh, win for 90210 to have Anne part of our community. It, it's interesting, too, because she does stay. I mean, and you did replace, you know, sometimes you would need a father in the early seasons 
to fill in the the idea that this is Kelly's dad or something or this is Dylan's dad but they 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 didn't inevitably stay but Anne is one that from season 1 that was cast that did uh stay on as Kelly's mom yeah but she had a big but she had a big part it was it, was, yes. it really required that she was going to become that the only one that we could say had a big part that we did recast um and and we'll talk about that when we get to season uh, two. Is when we cast Lainey Kazan to play. Uh, you know, uh, let's let's uh, that's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. That's going to be good. Um, but also, well, Dylan's dad became important down the line as well. So I mean, uh, that was the the father, and that when we first meet Dylan, is someone that we don't even know who. You know, that's not someone that we talk about. Terrence Ford. Yeah. Right. Oh, that is that. Yeah. Why? Why would we? He had he had a couple of lines, and he was there. His only purpose of being there was to set off uh, Dylan to grab a bottle and go very uh, expose all his wounds to Brenda. Right outside the hope the, the apartment. So, but Anne does does make it all the way through, which is incredible. She's a super, and like you said though, to your point, Chuck. I mean, perfect mom when she debuts is heavy stuff. It's you needed a real. This is going to be her mom. Um, Tico Wells. Tico Wells, a uh, nice actor who I read for the role. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I like you. Okay, come <laughs> on. Come, talk, come meet the producers, read, do a good job again. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that, that, that's your kind of line of thinking when yeah. you're reading an actor. Oh, I like you. Okay, what can you do here? And don't do too much in between that it might not be as. Don't do too much. Don't think about it too much. Just come back and do the same thing. Is that something? Is that advice that you would that you would have given an actor at that time? Don't do too much. I feel like that's something that. Yes, yes. Because sometimes actors come in, they're very nervous. Just in general, um, as the show went along, they were more nervous coming in, and I'd say, "Well, it's just me. It's okay." Right. And just do what you can. Some would overdo it. And if I asked them to make a change, you know, great. If they did, or, oh, thank you for coming in. If they didn't, that kind of thing. But you never want someone to go away and come back in with the performance. You want it to be enough. Where you yeah. can, where you, the producers and the director can see what's possible mm -hmm. with, that, with that actor. At least that's what I always thought about. That's how I learned it. Yeah. Uh, someone who I talked to today, we tried to get to come by, but she's busy. Louisa, Louisa. Uh, Hello, Louisa Leshen. Yeah. Love her. She's going to, we're going to try to make it happen. She's, she's just had a very busy morning. She's doing a lot of stuff now. She's pitching a, a series this morning. So that's why she couldn't uh, be here, but she said, uh, please tell you how much she appreciates you and what a wonderful credit this has been in her life. Uh, it's the one that delights people the most. She gave me the gift that keeps on giving. That's from Aww. Louisa this morning. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Do you oh. remember? Do you remember casting her? And and then we'll talk a little bit about this role because it was there and then it wasn't. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh, yeah. It's um. I'm trying to remember where I met her. I was very fortunate early on in my career to work with really beyond wonderful casting directors. 
Uh, one of them was Lori Openden, who went on to become head of NBC casting and was there for, I think, 14, 15 years. And Jackie Grisky. I worked at MTM casting as an assistant. So I was an assistant to all these brilliant people. And when I worked with Lori, I was fortunate enough to work with her on the pilot of Hill Street Blues. Mm. And she gave me, she let me sit in on pre-reads. And at a couple of points, I went in on um, with, with director and producer readings, which was such a great education. But she, one of her other credits um, was Barney Miller early on. And she just, she knew you, I learned so much from her and it was such a wonderful experience. And so I think for some reason, that's where I first met Luisa, Luisa when I was working with Lori. And so I would remember actors who came in and I would say, well, how I go in and we talk about it afterwards and see who got the job. So that's part of where I come from. And these are things that I remember. These are, I remember actors from that entire time period. And I would keep notes. Mm -hmm. uh, and Louisa's character, the role was to be the, the maid at the house, I guess, right? I mean, Chuck and then then that role was gone. So how, how that's difficult, I would imagine, Chuck. Uh, yes, I'm sure it was very difficult for Louisa. It was very difficult for me. Um, I, um, uh, we, we, one thing that we've avoided talking about because we were getting right in to talk about the great relationship that uh, Diane and I developed as working and, and going into the episodes and the people we cast, was the big was the big obstacle to get over the the elephant in the room, as it were, that this was in 1990 an all white cast, a uh, front cast, and that was coming less and less the case in all of television. Uh, 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 Diane uh, brings up Hill Street Blues, which I never knew you were the assistant on in that one. Uh, that changed television in a way that all of the family did for comedy. It was, and it breaks my heart to know because I taught it used it as an episode to teach at, at UCLA when I was teaching there. And I brought in Bob Butler to come in and watch the episode with our kids, uh, our students, they weren't kids, it was the extension. So there were a lot of adults in there. And the episode just does not, the pilot that changed my life about how television should be and what needs to be done does not hold up at all. Mm. It's a really hard to watch how, you know, racist and sexist and, uh, that it was, and you know, hello, it was the world of 1981, not the world of, you know, 2000s, uh, the 21st century. But at the same time, um, you know, we, 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 so I knew, okay, we'll, we'll find episodes to have a, a people of color. And that, you know, we mentioned Tico Wells came in on a basketball episode called One on One, being accused of somehow not being, um, only being brought in to play basketball, uh, which unfortunately did happen at Beverly Hills High School when I was there, but we were using it in our fictional context. But Los Angeles's relationship to the Hispanic community is clear and to the immigrant community. And so here we are in Beverly Hills, we being very aware that Beverly Hills is run by the women who run the households and are the nannies and are the, 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 the housekeepers. And that's what you know, Beverly Hills was even, especially in the, the, the 80s coming into the 90s, 
And so I thought that it would be interesting to have a character like that, not as a full time, but be sure. there and also allow to get some exposure to this Minneapolis, Caucasian family from Minneapolis about the diversity that's Los Angeles and, and what other things are there. And we did take advantage of that in season one with we got to East Side Story. Mm. Talked about being a kind of a crucial episode for me and, and for the series. And one that Lisa was very uh, involved with and mm -hmm. very proud of. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, and so, but, you know, Mr. Spelling uh, was not comfortable with the innate elitism of the uh, culture of Beverly Hills. Uh, so he'd rather not see it than deal with it. Mm. And then, then her role is diminished and removed entirely. Correct. Correct. Um, is, is, is that challenging for you, Diane, when that happens? It is. It's because you, I, you do want to have cross section of people, a diversity of people coming in. Um, and when there's an actress who is good. And you think, oh, great, you know, she could possibly come back and then he or she does not. And it, it's, it's disappointing. It is disappointing, but that's not my area. So I just keep doing what I was doing. I want to ask you, though, about that criticism that has come up through the years about there not being enough people of color on 90210. Is that, is that something that you heard? And how do you feel about that? I did hear it a lot and it, it was disappointing to hear that, but you do the best you can mm -hmm. and you try to bring in different people with hopes that, you know, maybe it could be seen a different way, but if that's not the intent of the character or if that's not right for the character, then, you know, you, you give it you've given it a try and then you move you move on or they go with someone else that they liked and you you just keep plotting away and you know trying different things when you're casting and I think that considering the situation you know I think that we did an okay job yeah and, but yeah I was I was confronted several times by people. In fact, later in the series, um, there was an author who said some said something on in an interview for Fox uh, News and the local Fox News. And a manager called me and said, "Well, you were taken to task about you know your casting." And I was I said, "Oh, okay," because I'd been used to that for some time. <laughs> So I followed through, looked at the, the tape, had the tape sent over from the reporter who I called. And it, it was just interesting because it was a criticism of um, Marcus Spinoza and how he, he wasn't, he didn't have as big a role as the author thought that he should have. And I, and he just, it's everything about it should be bigger there should be more latinos on the show and i talked to him a little bit and then i actually sent him over to talk to paul wagner and so 
he and Paul talked for a long time, but there was no, it was not resolved right. because he was so angry just in general. Right, because you knew not to send them to me. <laughs> I had already, I had already gone to war with the Screen Actors Guild uh, after mm. the end of first season on race, mm -hmm. um, where we were. This is the situation we had. Remember, lowest license fee of television. We couldn't keep bringing in actors. We did so. What we'd have to do is write racially um, uh, oriented episodes, like one on one, sure. East Side Story, and that's the best we could do. But we also had to, um, and what? But what we could do was when we needed to bring in people of authority or this or guest stars, we could, uh, uh, you know, uh, cast someone of color. And we tried to do that when we could. Hello, Denise Dows in season one. And they later became Mrs. Teasley. And then, of course, uh, in season two, which we'll get to, James Pickens. And yeah. looking for actors, making a distinctive choice that you can bring in anybody you want, but we're probably going to go with the person of color because we have to, because we can't do anything about our main cast. Um, we, what we did in the Spelling Company right from the start, and this was even before Paul Wagner, this Jeffrey did this, is that we made sure that our extras were broken down to, uh, to approximate the racial breakdown of the city of Los Angeles, not the city of Beverly Hills. So we had a lot, if you look at our extras in season one, uh, and all through the, the, um, the, the, the series, that we, we were racially diverse. And we got censored by, uh, by uh, or SAG, or going to be fined by them by not having enough um, casting, enough people of color. And this was after I had just won an Imagine Award from the Hispanic community for East Side Story and had also, you know, been pretty proud and being a very, very racially conscious liberal Democrat. Uh, then and now, uh, more moderate now, but still very racially uh, uh, aware. You know, I was just furious at them and that uh, distaste that the Screen Actors Guild and I had lasted for five years. And I only got over it once Gabrielle was the elected president because <laughs> what was I supposed to say to my good friend at that point? Right. Well, let's talk about Denise Dows. <laughs> Do you remember finding Denise? We just lost Denise too, sadly. Wow, yeah. uh, that that was really sad. I brought her in for for the, the the initial role that she came in for, and she she was just such a delight to sit and talk to. We were approximately in the same age group, so we could talk about a myriad of things. And she's just so likable. She's one of those likable, comfortable actors that you bring in and immediately people are attracted to her and listen to her. And she was a good actress. She was just a really good actress interested in so many things. I remember when we were first starting to talk, you talked about her being on Seinfeld and you haven't had a story regarding that. I don't think that we've shared that here. Oh, I don't think we will. <laughs> Well, you don't have to say the specific thing, but she asked you to say something or something. No, I asked her to give Jerry Seinfeld a message from me. She and was doing, she was doing and, Seinfeld, right? And she's doing an episode of Seinfeld and she came over to say hi. 
um, to my office and I was a huge Seinfeld fan and I said you give Jerry Seinfeld a message for me and she goes oh you bet I will so I told her and we were laughing about it and so she went the next day when she went back to work she gave Jerry Seinfeld he was standing around and gave him the message and she, she said he just was doubled over in laughter <laughs> So it was, uh, it's always been a very proud moment of mine that I made Jerry Seinfeld laugh, even though I was not there. Right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> We're not going to go there. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but so you did have a really nice relationship with her through the years then. Absolutely. Absolutely. We had got, we had had lunch together. We had become friends and she was, she is a delight you know, a great person to know, and you could chat about the industry with or personal things and just a nice, nice person. Very, very nice. Um, let's talk about Kristen Ditello, who read for, um, who was Joey's mom in the One Man and a Baby, but, but I have a note here that she read for, for, for Brenda. Yes, she did. I actually have that list here of people that read for brenda yes oh, i'd love to hear oh it. yeah god do i want to hear that list <laughs> well, it's, names. I'd be interested. yeah it's actually kelly brenda and andrea andrea and um it's a long list um let's go let's rock yeah, kristen dottillo <laughs> is the fifth name on the list so it's robin lively tamara glenn uh kelly williams kristen dottillo um Sarah Buxton, Patricia Arquette. Wow. Yeah. Um I'm going down on names that you I thought you might know. Brooke Mills had done a few things. Julie Condra, same thing. JC Branley, Heather McAdam. Oh, Julie Condra did uh, Wonder Years and she had she had done some very talented. Yeah. yeah. Um and mm -hmm. let's see, Cheryl Pollock. Sydney Penny. Oh yeah. Heather Grimes. Larry, Larry's friend, Sydney Penny. Yep. Heather Grimes, uh, Portia Dawson, Kendra <laughs> Booth, Patricia Jennings, Megan Ward. Let's see. Lisa Wilcox. I'm skipping over a few. Uh, Nicole Egbert. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Tiffany Thiessen read for Brenda. Kelly, Brenda, and Andrea. They're all put together, so I don't know Kelly or Brenda. I got you. That's one. fascinating, yeah. And uh, Lisa Ann Caps, who had been working, and Deborah Levin. Let's see, Jennifer Guthrie. Juliet Lewis. Um, I don't know if you remember the singer Tiffany at the time, but she yes. also read. And Carla Montana, Tracy Needham, Tracy Wells. Rebecca Cross, Christy Swanson. Wow. I thought that was an interesting list. Yes, it pilot, is. Pilot in those years was, you know, was was, was the gold standard. And, yeah. you know, if you hadn't been in pilots or were new or this, you know, it was people came. New York actors would fly to Los Angeles for pilot season and live here for yes. that period of time. So to hear some of these names, while it's like, wow, that's very surprising. It's what was done. It was what was considered important at, at, at the time and a way to really get your footing. Um, so great yes. names there. Do you, you remember, 
but do you remember then casting Kristen in that role that she was in in on 90210 that she eventually becomes Joey's mom? So you did you use that list? Um, this list I don't remember if I did. I probably did because I'd go back and see who came in and see if they would come in again. Mm-hmm. And I brought her in. She did a good job. Yeah. Really wonderful. Good working actress. And that's that's what you look for. And that's who you remember. Oh, I want to find it something for this person. Because mm-hmm. I know they'll do a good job. Another actress we can't find anymore, but she has a, a she's in Slumber Party, Michelle Abrams. She plays Amanda Pacer and somebody that um, you know, fans always talk about. Amanda Pacer played a very you know, me, she was a mean character, you know, at that slumber party. Do you remember casting uh, Michelle Abrams? You know what? I remember her. I remember bringing her in, um, but 30 years ago. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you want to see a picture of her? Do you remember who she is? Well, I, re- I remember what, I do remember what she looks like, but sure, you know, bring it up so we can all see. Let's see here. Right. Hang on. I might have it. I may Let have me see her. if my memory serves me. This is Michelle. This is Michelle Abrams. Yes, yeah. that's who I remember. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, she's she's a nice actress. She did a good job. Oh God, she was good. Yeah. Um, okay, here's one. Julie McCullough. and we. T- I don't remember. We talked about this. I don't know if it was off or when we did a season, but Julie McCullough, you brought in for that same. I think for that same episode. Um, but you knew her through Growing Pains, Definitely. and I asked you this the other day, were you at Growing Pains? Because there was a, Chuck, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there was a whole debacle with Julie McCullough at Growing Pains that she was removed from the series because uh, Kirk Cameron had found out that she was in Playboy, and that didn't align with his beliefs, and you were there for that when that I happened. I was there for that, yes. So can you tell me what that experience was like to go through? And I don't know if we talked about that or not, but we'll just talk about it again. Sure, we can talk. Sure. Um, I I want to first say that I love Kirk Cameron. He was terrific as, mm-hmm. as a child actor, and I have all have always gotten along with him, and I have great respect for him in a lot and of ways. And I'm sure Candace as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Candace as well. Um, because you knew the whole family. And I think that that's where it comes from. I knew all of his sisters. I knew his parents. Really, really good people. And it, I wasn't privy to thoughts. I didn't go and sit down and talk to them about and and I wasn't directly involved. I was I was there and I was aware of it at Warner Brothers. And so, but did you bring Julie in? Yes, I did. For growing I brought her in, and I don't even know that I knew that at the time. I heard it later, and I was like, okay, that that's life. That's what are we going to do about it? Right? Who, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't think that it would become a big issue, and. I was a little bit surprised that it did, well, more than a little bit surprised that it did because I thought that Julie did such a great job for us on that show. And I, you know, I like her. I liked her then. I will always like her as an actress because I think she's very good. And I will give her my support. I think she, she was so special. That's why I brought her in for 90210. She really brought something special to Growing Pains too. And I know this is not yeah. a Growing growing Pains 
podcast by any means, but she did bring a certain energy and life to that show that was needed at that time. Yes. And I remember. She's, she's likable. She's such a likable person. And that's part of what she brings. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, and so Chuck bringing Julie McCullough into 90210, it didn't matter <laughs> that she was in. Not only, not only did it not, ma- not only did it not matter to us, it didn't matter to Fox, right? They would always be with attitude, and so you know, step up and prove it. Where ABC was a little more at that point the family network, sure. Even though they weren't owned by Disney at that point, that that's really kind of what they were always uh, kind of kind of promoting themselves as, and uh, and, and 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 here's this, you know. I don't have any opinions on that, but on on this specific one, but when you have a hit television series, your uh, stars carry a lot of weight. And oftentimes what the stars want, if it's within reason, it's okay. And when the stars say this really matters, you have very little choice in the management position, but going, okay, let's see what we can do here. So, you know, I have no grudging anything she was but julie and the other actress who played her in the uh in in my favorite episode and that i that i didn't write and my pretty much my favorite episode in general and i think a real turning point episode for 90210 for so many reasons um was uh slumber party and these were the two who uh got wanted to drive uh kind of scammers at a nightclub who convince uh Steve Sanders to let uh, them drive his Corvette, uh, mostly with yeah, after, yeah. after making out with uh, having a double date makeout session uh, with Brandon involved. And some really, it's, it's my favorite script. Darren did a wonderful, wonderful job. Chuck Braverman came in, became an important director for us for a long time for the first two seasons, and it uh, um, did really, really um, uh, terrific. So that's what I'm going to remember about them and. Uh, I'm the kind of guy, as most of our regulars on this podcast would know, that uh, I bought Playboy for the interviews because they interviewed the new left heroes of mine where you couldn't, you know, you weren't going to find Huey Newton and and, uh, Tom Hayden getting interviewed by the L.A. Times. You'd have to go for extensive and the anti-war movement itself. Playboy covered that. So I, I would buy it weekly. And barely, I remember my parents talking about what what's this obsession with Playboy. Well, then I went through all the different you know reasons I'm buying the episodes. It wasn't really I, I guess I had a girlfriend and uh, didn't read the magazine. First Playboy I bought was the one with Julie McCullough because of Growing Pains, and I wanted to see it. So yes, opposite, not interviews. I went for Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I say, Literally went for Julie McCullough's picture. No, I'm a nice Jewish boy. What can I say? <laughs> well, I was a kid in New Jersey, so what do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, someone we, we didn't have in our on our list, Chuck, the teacher, Mr. Denzel, who's Bill Morey. Do you remember? Do you remember him? So I'll tell you if we're going to talk about season one in a in a character which really did break my heart um, was when we did uh, on the one on one the B story was Brenda being not a great driver and having to take driver training with one of my closest friends in life Joshua Carton who at that point had been an ACT actor and um, 
was teaching acting. He was just a great, great guy and extremely funny as a, as a teacher and the driving inspector. And um, he played, uh, you know, we had others like him, kind of a, you know, uh, um, quick, exotic, um, and, and partially effeminate teacher. And Spelling would have none of that. He didn't like him. He didn't. And so this man that I would have brought back to be our funny comic relief as a teacher, that was a one and done. Yes. So I do remember Joshua on that. Yeah, Joshua's wonderful. Uh, someone we definitely have to mention, Matthew Perry. Ah, yes. Tell me about Matthew Perry coming in for this episode of Nanotuno, which is an episode we I don't think we've ever covered on the podcast either, Checkers. We should definitely look at it at some point. Definitely. Maybe yeah. when we do our, uh, Shira comes in and wants to do our tribute with Jessica. Yeah. That was Stephen Jessica's first episode. Yeah, it's really wonderfully written. Um, so what do you remember about Matthew finding Matthew? It was a really good episode, I remember. And it was, it was before Friends. And I knew Matthew from previous. And I, he came in and read and he did such a good job. A really, really nice reading. I remember that. And I remember, I actually do remember the readings and him in the room. And it just, it was dead silence. It was really, really good. And, you know, he was hired. Um, but we did have a talk about it, I remember, after his reading and after Michael Cudlitz's reading, too, because Michael did a fabulous job, too. And so Michael Cudlitz was going to potentially play that character? Is that? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And Michael was already working for the show? Oh, yes. Yeah. Go ahead. What I remember about the experience, and, and I don't remember that Michael was actually reading for that one, Diane, but I do remember um that what you told me about Matthew Perry meant more to me for this episode than any of the reading that I'd see in the room which is that he was or as much to me as what I would see in the room mm -hmm. was that he was a Canadian champion youth tennis player yes and you know one of the things when you know going back to that one-on-one -on -one episode Tika Wells could play basketball the other guys we had as extras could play basketball and fortunately for, for us, Ian Ziering and Jason Priestley, terrific athletes, both of them, could play basketball, even though uh, Jason's sport was always hockey. And um, so we wanted authenticity to, because one of the things about the character that he played was that he was the number one tennis player at Beverly Hills High School among number one this, number one that. And he was a few years older than, than, than Brandon's character. And, uh, and, 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 a, and a guy with a reputation, you know, we always, we always kind of, kind of played that up in the, in the high school years is people everybody knew about because of their, you know, swagger and, and certainly, and, and him being a very troubled character. Um, Pete knows this, Diane, I would see him years later at playing tennis at Beverly High School when he was already, uh, friends was 10 years over, older, wow. over. And uh, and I would be there with my son on the soccer fields, and I just was too shy to go up to him and say, oh. "You did my episode. Do you even remember it?" And I always regret that because mm. uh, um, he seems like someone who would have been very approachable and 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 warm. But I just didn't have that much 
confidence in our show's reputation at that point. Yeah. Talk to anyone about it. Yeah, that's understandable. That's understandable. What did you think of Ma seeing Matthew's success afterwards? Same as Luke, what I thought about Luke. I, I was just, I was so pleased for him. Mm. And his father is an actor. And I was just pleased um, with the people. It's Matt LeBlanc. I wrote his Taft-Hartley and the SAG on just the 10 of us for a small role. And so when you see people that you've hired on these different roles, you know, get that success, it's like, yay. I hired Jennifer Aniston on a pilot at one point. And so it's like, yay, you're so pleased mm. that they have gotten to a place where they wanted to be. Yeah. At least that's I what I'm just about. I just want to do a timeout here for a second. You were so pleased. Most yeah. other casting directors never get over the, many of them never get over the fact that they wanted to be actors. Yeah. yeah. Work out. They resent actors and they let actors kind of know that pretty mm. soon on. Diane, you are an exception in the warmth and, and, and love that you brought to your job to every day for us and uh, just wanted to communicate. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. It's, um, yeah, I never intended, I had no ambition to be an actress at all. None. I was like you, I was, I was aiming for politics. <laughs> <laughs> in a certain way and then lo and behold things just kind of happened and i went in the other direction and so thank you i greatly appreciate that chuck well, thank you very much i don't know that we've asked you this but how did you wind up in casting <laughs> it's it's uh, i'll try to make it a short story i was having my parents live about 80 miles east of los angeles and i would go in for interviews and things like that and i thought okay how can i get more into the news aspect of things and i couldn't it was the door was shut and i had had some interviews and they said well and this was the time that it was you have to remember that i'm not a spring chicken anymore <laughs> but i they i they would say to my face well you know what we don't think that you can lift 50 pounds so we're going to hire a guy and i said well can i try to lift 50 pounds oh no it'll you'll hurt yourself it was that kind of a thing okay fine there was an ad, there was a little teeny blurb in the paper in their town that said that uh, one of the graduates from the local junior college was going to come and talk, give a talk with her husband, who happened to be the one of the senior vice presidents of MTM Productions. And I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe I can go talk to him and he could have some advice for me. <laughs> And because he was going to be there and thought, well, maybe I'd get lucky and he'd chat with me. And so I went and I sat in the room in the auditorium. Afterwards, everybody went up to talk to her because she was fairly well known at the time. And I went, he was standing there. So I went up and talked to him and he said, well, you know what? Next time you're, he gave me his card. He said, next time you're in Los Angeles, give me a call and we'll see what we can help you with. So, and I remember this and it was such a long time ago. That was on a Thursday and I waited till Tuesday. <laughs> and I came in and it was at CBS Radford and which was just the Radford studios at the time. There was a phone booth on the corner and mm -hmm. I went in and I called him and he said, where are you? I said, well, I'm on the corner. And he said, I'll leave you a pass. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I drove on, went to his office, made, met a bunch of people, and it was like, oh my gosh, there's Grant Tinker right next door to him. <laughs> and it was lovely. And they, I took a temp job in the mailroom for a couple of weeks. And I had the route that I did was MTM casting. Mm. MTM was huge at that time. And so they were, the gold standard. they were the gold standard at that time. They had yeah. the Mary Tyler Moore show and Rhoda and Phyllis and then going into um, uh, Hill Street. And then my big, you know, one of my big breaks, St. Elsewhere. Elsewhere and, yeah. You know, they, they just did the best stuff. Everybody. And, and, and it was one of the things you contrast MTM with spelling productions. And they were almost two extremes uh, of, of approaches to entertainment yeah. and um you know and it would be it was easier to get the icm william morris caa actors to come in on an mtm show than it would, would be at that time for a spelling show <laughs> yeah. it's, um, but it's um so you were so you were doing the, the mail route and then i did the mail room i did the back lot I got to drive a golf cart, uh, golf cart all around back lot, and I got to deliver mail to Tony Curtis. And MTM Casting was also on my line, and I was young, I was friendly, and I they liked me. And uh, there were several new casting directors because of what was going on there at the time. And one of them, Lori Openden, and uh, was looking for an assistant. And so I went in and met her met her on a recommendation from the casting director across the hallway and she hired me and I thought okay let me try this this might be fun <laughs> even though I had never thought about the entertainment end of it I thought oh maybe I can get into CBS News this way sure and mm -hmm. you know what and I just I, I was there for I think four years and it was just terrific. It was the perfect time to be there like Chuck, as Chuck was just describing. So many people and I got to work on Rhoda with her and some other shows. Uh, Sharon Siegel, who was another casting director there helped me out, Jackie Brisky. And I would work with them when somebody was going on a vacation. So I was very well treated. And then came Hill, the Hill Street Blues pilot. And I, you know, got Stephen Botchko I got to meet and Bruce Paltrow when he was there, much pre saying elsewhere, but all of that, you know, with Gwyneth Paltrow and her brother mm. running around everywhere. I knew Bethany Hillshafer then. We were secretaries together. Bethany, and Bethany it Rooney was just What's what? that? Oh, Bethany, Bethany Rooney. Bethany Rooney, but Bethany yeah. Rooney. Yes, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're and, good. And I don't know if you know this, Diane. She, I was not a very good typist, uh, as befits that my loan out company was called Can't Spell, Can't Type, and <laughs> I got introduced to Bethany. You froze, Chuck. There you oh, go. No. Oh no, okay. Bethany would type my movies of the week for extra money while she worked for Paltrow. I did not know that. Oh yeah. my gosh. So you guys must have been thrilled when she walked in on the second episode of 90210 uh, to see that. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, it was old home week. And just so great to see her. She is somebody I would like to see again. It's been, a, it's been such a long time, but she's, yeah. she's wonderful. She's just wonderful. And I, I was so pleased to see her progress through the years. 
Mm. And um, get to where she was. Were you when you, when you went to Growing Pains? Was that for the pilot, or was that after the series had already? It was after the series had been picked up. I had gone from MTM. There was a SAG strike strike on. A friend of mine worked at Warner Brothers and said, "Come over and work with Marianne Doherty. She has three movies that are being shot elsewhere. She needs some help." So I did, and Marianne Doherty was got in charge of casting, and I had. A, that, I worked for her for three months and then Warner Brothers started up a different television um, department and I went to work for Phyllis Huffman there and she so, so I worked for her and then several shows were picked up and one of them was growing pains and nobody wanted to do it so I said I'll go there and they happened to be <laughs> um it, it was a I liked the show it was a nice show and that it was, was a great show pilot. And then partway in through the series, the um, original producers and writers were let go. And they brought in two writers that I knew from MTM and WKRP in Cincinnati, because I had been the assistant on that show for a, a couple of years. Another one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Dan yeah. Gunselman and Steve Marshall. And they said, oh, great. Yeah, let's keep Diane. That'll be great. But we know her, you know, so mm -hmm. I... That's who I worked for. And I did that show for five years. Well, well, and that's where a lot of the names that we're talking about came from yes. when, for this first season, because you had been familiar with them from Growing Pains, right? Yes. And I knew a lot of that, the age group, just by casting Growing Pains. And a lot of people, I brought in people that I hadn't hired on that show. And some people I'd like Julie that I did. Mm -hmm. And, and Matthew Perry, who I did. So it, and it's, it was always like, oh gosh, I didn't want to appear like I wasn't doing my job on I know two and O's and I saw a lot more people. So I brought in more people, but it was just, it happened to be part of the trajectory. And it was, you know, it was an immense help on 90210. And although not a lot of people from Growing Pains were right for 90210. Sure. It served as a, a launching pad, so to so to speak. And okay. I, and first season, especially when I couldn't get people to come in or show up, those were some of the people who did. Go -tos. yeah, for sure. A uh, couple others, Marcy Marcy Kaplan. Yes, Marcy Kaplan, I do remember very very clearly. Specifics on day or anything like that, no. But I remember her as an actress, absolutely, absolutely. In that um, same episode, Melissa Rivers is in. Yes. yes. This was the other thing that I learned as a casting director because a lot of people, well, I can't say a lot of people didn't do it. Um, I always wanted to give second generation a chance. Mm -hmm. um, like when I was at Warner Brothers, I'd been Torian. Sure. That was the role that was right, she was right for, and there were. And I learned from that because on one of the episodes, of a TV series that I worked on. It wasn't Growing Pains, it was another one, it was an hour. I brought her in to read and she did terrifically. She was so good. And I knew the producers well. And at the end of the casting session, one of the producers said, yeah, she did really great, but we're not gonna hire her. We're gonna hire, we wanna hire this person. And I looked at them and I said, why? I said, Tori did a great job. This is the, the other, choice is good too but Tori was terrific mm -hmm. and they said she doesn't need the job and I said she's building a resume 
Mm. Master. Yes. And I, I try to sit back in the discussion of an actor after the reading, but this time I was just like right out there and said, no, this is wrong. This is, Tori should have this job just because she shouldn't be penalized just because of who her father is. Sure. And um, they went with the other girl and I called Tony or Tony called me and wanted to know what was going on. And I said, this is what happened. And I'm very, very sorry. So I, ever since then, in my career, I tried to give second generations the opportunity mm. to do what they had to do or could M do. Melissa Rivers being one of them, and yeah, and she did get the part on 90210. Yeah. Right. And she did just fine. Yeah. She did a real nice job. Carrie Hamilton also worked on the show, and she yeah. was she did, was terrific, I thought. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Chuck. That's Carol Burnett's daughter. What a wonderful actress. Yeah. Died way too young. She is quite a, quite a terrific actress. Died way too young, you said, yeah. Yes. Move to the move to this other <laughs> track if you're going to speak here. <laughs> I really think that's. Uh, I, I didn't know that about Tori. Uh, that story before, and, and so true, Diane. And it, it didn't matter to us. We cast Jennifer Grant, and later yes. after we cast her, oh, she's Cary Grant's daughter. Yeah. Right. Would we'll we talk about. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Would we have cast her had she been? Uh, if, if we hadn't, we didn't know. It, it didn't matter one way or the other uh, at that point, especially to a boy who grew up in Beverly Hills and took acting with Desi Arnaz. So that, that stuff wouldn't have mattered to me at all. It, um, and I never, I don't, I don't remember bringing up lineage. <laughs> right. Yeah. There were some. Sometimes I thought that. You know, I would tell Tony who I was bringing in and he'd go, oh, okay, great. Or he'd get a call because the parent knew Tony mm. for whatever reason, obviously mm. casting. And I'd be, and he'd be like, great, I'm glad to know this. And, you know, then he'd call and find out how the person, how the actor did. Right. And it was, it was always terrific. Yeah. It was always terrific. There's one thing I want to say in 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 this uh, area too, and this is in praise of the spelling company. You know, I had done a lot of TV shows as as a you know co-producer, executive story editor, and this. And what you really kind of had in the 1980s, going into the early 90s, was this kind of ambivalence to the industry we were in. That 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 there wasn't a. a Hooray for Hollywood was a different era. That was the, you know, the glamour of Elizabeth Taylor and Paul Newman and things. It, it wasn't what was going on in the TV business at that time, including at MTM, which is where I'm thinking about particularly doing Northern Exposure, uh, although that was universal, but with MTM people. And it, it wasn't it wasn't a blast for any of us. We made a great TV show, but it was it was so refreshing to be there with the spelling company that once the spelling company got back on top again it was hooray for hollywood um uh you know and uh and i like that about the company I, that that's what it was about you knew what it was about and so if it was going to be Cary grant's daughter well of course it would be where else are we were the spelling company you know it right. wasn't it wasn't held against you and i and i found that an ass and i know that might be surprising to people who would know my background but i thought that a real plus because you who you were who you were dealing with and what you were getting. Yes. Yes. And well, this go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, it was it was just a great opportunity to have it be not cut off at all. It was it was just it was wonderful. It was really really wonderful. Thank you. Anyone else from season one, Chuck, that we missed that you think we need to talk about, and, and for anything from your notes, Diane. There is nothing that we need to talk about. We've been on this. We've been doing it a long time. Diane's this been is very a... generous with the time, and I say uh, shalom. I mean, <laughs> All right, so season one is covered. I mean, that list of the Brenda Kellys and Andreas is fascinating. To just to think about uh, Tiffany being, wow. you know, the the singer Tiffany, not even Tiffany, Tiffany Thiessen, but yeah. the, sing, the singer Tiffany being considered, and some of the people that we talked about there. All right, this has been great. Tomorrow we'll be back for season five. There's a lot of interesting uh, people there. So, um, oh yes, double up. Yes. Oh, we'll talk about double ups and all of that stuff. So this has been great. Um, we will see everybody next week for the podcast, which will not be season. It will be another. We'll figure that out. But uh, thank you, Diane, for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. It's been fun. <laughs>